When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Steve Eschbach. I am the president and owner of Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville. I am delighted to have Sean McBride with me today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, best practices for buying and selling a business. But before we do that, Sean, why don't you give us a brief, uh, let's say, 90-second overview of who you are and where you've been and where you're going. Sure. I'm a corporate lawyer by training. I studied accounting as an undergrad and then went to law school, came out, worked in some of the biggest law firms in the country for about a decade, uh, helping them with you know, business formation, capital raise, mergers, whole variety of large corporate transactions. That's really where I got grounded in the business world, doing a lot of securities offerings and other things related to it. About eight years ago, I left the big law firm world after having been at three large law firms, started my own law firm. And so now I work with private business owners. So it's really the same type of issues, just on a different scale. And then there's another piece of my business. What I started seeing was a lot of businesses, particularly the private-owned businesses I work with, need some help preparing for the future of business. How are things going to change? How do you morph the business? How do you move business into the future? So I do a lot of speaking and consulting about the future of business and what's coming down the pipe and how, that, how businesses can prepare themselves now for the future. So that's kind of my world all about business planning and business plan execution. Absolutely. So now we're going to rewind the videotape a little bit. So let's go back to your uh, childhood. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, so northern suburbs, and did all of my education in the Maryland area, Baltimore area. So I went to uh, Towson University for my undergrad. I uh, went to University of Maryland for law school. So I spent the, you know, the vast part of my early life in the Baltimore area, right up and down the eastern seaboard there. So you can't beat their uh, crab cakes, can you, huh? Yeah, we love to have steamed crabs. We still do that sometimes. I'm, I now spend most of my time in Florida and uh, – we, get, we can find live crabs here. We have to cook them ourselves. It's not quite the same here as it is there, but uh, it's my still son, My son lives there, and that's what I always go for. But uh, tell me about your parents. So tell me about your upbringing, how they kind of mold you into the uh, person you are today. Yeah, so my, my father always loved finance and business. You know, he, he kind of worked his way up in the business world and uh, had a high school education, went into steel mills, but ended up having a supervisory role at Bethlehem Steel's plant in Baltimore, and then went on to a couple other industrial concerns in Baltimore. But um, 
he always loved business investing. And I think I learned a lot from him early in my life. So, you know, we would, uh, we would look at financial articles, we'd look at stocks, and I kind of just got interested in the business world and what was going and what was happening there. Mom was always just a solid presence in our lives, and, you know, she uh, you know, she was always there taking care of the house, supporting things, you know, helping me with my sports and different things early in life. So really, was really blessed to have a good, good parents, good solid start to my life. You know, they kind of gave me the foundation to branch out and start doing things I would do later in my life. So. Um, so uh, what kind of steered your way into the legal part of the business? So, yeah, I liked business, and I was very good at math, you know, in high school. And so when I, when I came to college, you know, kind of the combination of business and math is accounting. And so that's where I started. It just seemed to make logical sense. But as I kind of got deeper into accounting, I figured out that I didn't want to spend my entire life auditing people's books or doing people's taxes. I know you can move up in the accounting world, but I wanted to be more in the mix of the real business decisions that were happening. And I had taken a couple of survey courses in business law in my early, my undergrad. So I said, okay, that's the direction I want to go. So finished up the accounting degree, got the CPA license, and then went to law school and, uh, you know, said, okay, I'm going to do business law. Sounds good. So now tell me about your current business. It's the Our Sean McBride, right? Is that Our Sean McBride Law Firm? Yes. So, uh, you know, Texas is. We have an office in Dallas where I've been for about a decade, and then I have an office in Florida now too. And Texas doesn't allow us to be very creative with our names. Basically, we have to name the law firm after the owner. We can't have trade names on law firms. So the law firm is the R. Sean McBride Law Firm because there's another law firm with the last name McBride in it. So, uh, but yeah, we're basically a full service corporate law firm. I think what differentiates us probably from a lot of the other business law firms that are out there is, you know, we, we, even though we're not a large law firm, we do still do capital raise securities offerings, which a lot of small law firms don't have the expertise to do. So we do that and then we blend it with other things that business owners commonly need asset protection, planning, contract negotiations, partnership agreements, mergers, uh, all the types of things that come up in owning and controlling a business. Do you operate in multiple states? I do. I have actually, I'm very unusual in that I have 14 law licenses. So I'm licensed in many parts of the U.S., most, many of the large population states, New York, California, Illinois, Texas, Florida, and then some of the Eastern Seaboard and a few others. And that really just reflects where my clients are and have been over the years, right? So as I, I was working in the large law firm, really a national and international practice. So when I left the large law firms, I had these clients spread out in multiple parts of the U.S. So I uh, added the law licenses to match where my clients were and kind of jumped into it. And so we work throughout the U.S. on a variety of different transactions. Really what's important to us is the type of transaction it is, which is the ownership, the control, those types of issues more than where the geography is. Oh, good. So what do you like best about what you do? Love helping the business owners get where they're going, right? So there's always a story of somebody getting where they're going. We're negotiating the partnership agreements, you know, it's about bringing everybody together and also having that clear understanding so the business doesn't collapse down the road. And we do as much as we can to backstop things and put protections in there to protect that value because I've seen too many of those go the wrong way. If you don't get the protections in there, the business partners start fighting and the business gets into trouble. So that's always uh, meaningful to me. And I spent a lot of time like talking to my business owners. What do you want to do? 
you know, a lot of my business owners are family businesses. So it's what happens after, you know, somebody passes on, what do we want the business to look like? How does the next generation come into the business? Does the next generation want to come into the business, right? More and more, uh, particularly with people living longer and people having new interests. A lot of times the kids don't want the businesses anymore. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it was kind of standard that, you know, if the parents passed away and you had a nice business, you would just hand it to the kids and the kids would jump in and start running it. We're seeing more and more that kids don't want to run it. You know, one of my good clients, you know, we've been doing this planning for a couple of years. We've got some documents in place, but he has an adult son that lives in a different city and has a professional career in another city. So that son doesn't want to come take over a business in a different city and, and, you know, change his life fundamentally. So we've had to build plans to keep that business running, you know, and to protect the value in the event that he passes on. Sure. Absolutely. So it sounds like you represent business owners. Are you, uh, are any of your clients buyers who may be first time into uh, acquiring a business at all? Yeah, sometimes we see that. It really depends on the situation. All, yeah, almost all my clients are business owners. Sometimes I get hired by a manager of a business or an executive, but most of, most of them are business owners. And yeah, we get in situations where business owners are out buying. Some have bought a couple of businesses. A lot of times when people are selling, it's their first time selling unless they happen to be a serial entrepreneur. And then we do see the first-time buyers. You know, we have clients. I've got one right now. It's a newer business startup. It's starting to get some traction, and they're actually looking at possibly bringing an acquisition in to bring technology and other things they need into the business. Terrific. So what would you say your uh, highest professional achievement has been to date? Well, I've acquired a lot of law licenses. I've passed a lot of bar exams. So, uh, and every one of those comes with a character review and a background check. So I think, you know, that kind of fundamental grounding in the legal profession is part of it. And, and I've worked with some of, the, some of the biggest and best law firms in the U.S. And that's really where I cut my teeth and learned. So I think, you know, between getting out, passing the exams, and then getting into really high, sophisticated legal practice are probably some of the things that I'm uh, most proud of and really underpin the work that I do today. Okay. So if you had to boil down your advice into three key bullets for business owners, and we're going to get into business buyers as well, but given your accomplishments to date and just to set the parameters uh, accordingly, we're just in the midst of the COVID-19 environment that had just begun. So you probably have three key bullets of, what has happened to date? They might continue on post COVID-19, but what would you give business owners three key bullets for them to keep in mind as they go forward? Yeah, you're right. COVID-19 kind of changes the focus a little bit. I still think one of the keys is you need to know your long-term direction. And that, and that's probably more important now than ever, because for a lot of businesses that may have changed slightly or a lot, depending on uh, what industry they're in. You know, for instance, the restaurant industry, we've been running some projections and we're expecting, you know, we're probably going to do, restaurants are probably going to do more takeout delivery long term because I don't know if you can pack people in the same way you used to. Uh, that's an open question, but you need to think about that long-term business model. So I think key point number one is know where you're going. Number two, you need to have a continuity plan. And that, that takes a lot of different forms depending on where you are. And this will play into the business selling point too when we get to it. But you know, don't want to have all your eggs in one person, right? You need to have a diversified management team and you want to have multiple people that know how to run the business and let the business uh, do that. So that's a key point is to make sure you have that kind of control uh, set up to where it's not just one person and everything doesn't depend on one person. It makes the business more valuable. It also makes the business a lot safer and makes the transition planning a lot easier. 
and in that connection too, I would say, you know, beyond that is to understand developing your management team, right? So if you're going to have a business where you have other people involved and you're going to diversify control, you need to be planning to move people up through the ranks, right? So other people need to be able to run the business, need to have a plan in place in case one of those people leaves or is not there. So you really want to build a strong team around the business so that as, as things progress, you'll have the right people available at the right time. Makes a lot of sense. Really does, Sean. So now let's go flip on the other side. Let's say that you're representing a buyer. Yep. And you just introduce yourself to this business. What are you going to coach your buyers on, on what to look for, what they really need to get out of their due diligence to make sure that whatever they're looking at makes a lot of sense for them? Well, you want to make sure you understand the business. And I think that's kind of the fundamental thing. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't think about how to bring you know, you're going to go out and acquire a business, but what does that business really look like? How do the fundamentals work within it? So you need to understand the industry. You need to understand how the business operates. Obviously, you got to understand the management team like we were just talking about. Who in that business runs the business? You know, when the owner leaves, assuming you're buying the business, the owner often leaves or gets transitioned out. Uh, what does that look like? You know, and, and will the customer still come back? Uh, are there other people that know how to run the business? Are you going to have other people leave when the owner leaves because they say, hey, this isn't the same place it used to be. I'm going to transition out. So you really got to understand the fundamentals of what is that business? How does it operate? And I'd say you start looking into the management team and how that transition is going to work and make sure that you're still going to be covered when you, when you step in as the new owner. Anything else you want to add to that? I mean, you're talking about having a passion, I would imagine, for the business you're looking at having the subject matter experts to take you where you want to go. Yes. And you got to figure out whether you're going to do that internally or externally, right? And there's different answers depending on the businesses. Some businesses may already have some of the subject matters experts internally. Uh, you're not going to want to, you're not going to rely on them for doing your due diligence, right? So you're going to want to make sure you bring in the right team that's on your side, right? One of the things kind of as lawyers that I explain to my clients, but, you know, a lot of the general public doesn't always understand is, you know, we work for somebody, right? So we, we always are fiduciary, duty bound to some person in the transaction. And it's important to know who the lawyer is duty bound to. So I do see occasionally uh, people make the mistake where they say, oh, well, there's a lawyer in the deal already. They're going to write the paperwork up. It's good to go. Well, if the seller's lawyer is writing the paperwork up, and you're the buyer, the seller's lawyer is going to write it in favor of the seller. Absolutely. And you need to make sure that you have somebody looking at it from you as a buyer's perspective, make sure you understand the risk points, what the deal terms are. Uh, you'll want to do the same thing for accounting, right? Who's the accountant? They got to go in and look at the books, make sure the books look accurate, make sure it looks like they pay the taxes. Some of this you can cover through reps and warranties right. uh, that are negotiated into the deal but you definitely want a good due diligence team on your side too. That's part of understanding that business and understanding the financials, understanding how the, everything's flowing through the business and making sure that you're getting a good acquisition, right? You know, can you run this business? Does it operate as a business? Are there hidden problems? Um, that's all part of going through that acquisition process. Absolutely. So what was the best advice you've ever received to date? Best advice? I think people... Early in my business, I thought that I could rely on like, you know, these magic customers. And I think one of the keys for me is to always be building the business, always building my brand forward. 
and I don't think I fully understand that early on, but then eventually after I had enough falls and a couple of business owners took me to the side and they're, look, you got to keep building the pipeline, you know, and you got to keep building the brand, even if you're doing okay right now, because it's going to cycle up and down. So for me, a big lesson was to always be looking to the future of the business. And then, of course that moved forward. Once I learned a lesson and I saw it and I started giving it to my clients, it became one of the central themes in my career is to always plan for that future and build to it. So, so what have we uh, talked to, what have we missed in terms of what we talked about? Is there anything that you want to mention that I may not have asked you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, have an acquisition plan. Um, I think a lot of business owners, you know, particularly if they're not, haven't done a lot of acquisitions, uh, don't think about the fact that these are really go in stages. And so I think it's important to understand that. So when you show up, to make your initial offer, you're really not making a full offer to buy it. You're typically offering a letter of intent. You're going to say, hey, here's what the deal might look like if everything checks out. I always tell, of course, when my client's a seller, I tell them whatever number you see on top of that letter of intent, that's the maximum amount you're ever going to see, right? It's always coming down from that. Um, as a buyer, you should know too, you're going to hit problems as you go in there, right? And, and even the best run businesses tend to have some problem. They miss some tax payments. Uh, they don't have some contracts recorded. They got some terms and some contracts that don't allow transferability. So just know an acquisition goes through a couple of stages. A letter of intent is kind of, this is what we think we're going to end up with, but we have to look at everything. Then you go through the due diligence process. You look at everything. And then you usually negotiate those definitive agreements, which really have all the detailed terms. That's where your lawyers are really coming in there. You should have a lawyer look at the letter of intent to make sure you don't have any bad terms in it. But the real one that really matters is that definitive agreement at the end, uh, which is going to set forth who takes all the risks after the closing, who's responsible for anything that happened prior to closing. And you want to get all that built in there in a protective way of you and understand what you're agreeing to. Absolutely. makes a lot of sense. So, Sean, where can our audience go to learn more about you? Sure. Um, McBrideAttorneys.com is my law firm website. So if you go over there, you'll see a profile of our law firm and what we're doing. Uh, You can also go to PlanningDoneRight.com if if you're interested more in the business planning, business growth side of things. Uh, That website has a lot of articles knowledge and information about how to grow your business. So one or the other will find me and, uh, also on LinkedIn, I post a lot of articles and pieces over there too. So feel free to come find me. Terrific. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. The building better business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele which in turn will build you a better business.